And welcome to another episode of Safe Space. I'm Sam Tripoli. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, guys, if you guys can, my album's about to drop. Go check out The Diabolical, the two-disc CD, available for pre-order right now on iTunes. And you can pre-order that. And then check out the movie Dying Laughing. I'm featured in it. It's available. It's in 30 theaters right now and available across all video on demands. You could go to iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, you name it. You can find it there. It's got Kevin Hart, Jerry Seinfeld, Amy Schumer, Chris Rock, and Sam Tripoli. Go check it out. See what the critics are loving. Dying Laughing. Speaking of Dying Laughing, I'm honored to have the two directors, producers, create the madmen behind this award-winning film. I'm sure it's award somewhere. Someone gave it an award. It's an amazing film. Please welcome Paul Toogood and Lord Lloyd Stanton, everybody. How are you guys? Really excited to be in your hotel room. I know. Welcome to the love pad. It's amazing. If my girlfriend was listening to this, I wouldn't call it that. But I can't get my girlfriend to listen to my podcast. Um, thanks for coming in. Basically, you guys are in my hotel room in Las Vegas, and you guys are, are kind of shooting a follow-up to your movie, uh, Dying Laughing. What, what, what's basically going on here without giving away too many details? Spoil it, but what, what's going on? You're basically following some of the comedians from the movies, or what's going on? It's a spin-off TV series. Oh, amazing. Laughing the movie. We in making the movie we shot about 140 one hour plus interviews. And uh, when you're cutting a ninety minute film, inevitably you can't use nearly all of it. That's so amazing. We're left with this treasure trove of incredible stuff. Um, we also made the slightly risky decision not to feature any stand-up comedy at all in our movie about stand-up comedy. And what do you think was the, m- the feedback on that for the most part? Some people didn't actually notice it wasn't in the film. Yeah. <laughs> some of the reviewers, the professional film reviewers, didn't notice that there was no stand-up in it. And in fact, some of the others, in case you haven't seen the film, the interviews are all in black and white. Yes. Which is to make all the comedians equal. They're all against the same backdrop, so you're not seeing one comedian in a giant house with his amazing swimming pool and harem of right. women and it's all not the levels. It's so not everyone's the same, so yeah. there's no stand-up and there's no different backdrops. Some of the reviewers didn't even notice it was in black and white. <laughs> so <laughs> amazing! Yeah, it's extraordinary. Those are the people reviewing your film. But in fairness, some of the reviewers hadn't seen the film. Yeah, well, that's <laughs> kind of about the Oscars, too. They tend yeah. to vote for stuff they don't watch. Yeah, They're um, like, oh, that sounds like a black guy who's in trouble. Let's vote for that one. <laughs> Uh, so I'm going to get into the movie, but real quick, but the history of what you guys did, you guys did an amazing doc on, on rap called the art of rap. And, and what made you get into that? Why do you guys love performers so much? Very interested in the creative process, obsessed with the creative process. We don't think there's been enough attention from traditional movie makers and TV uh, commissioners on the magic of how, a human being can make something up out of thin air. Um, we think it's inspirational and fascinating. So, um, with the art of rap, did know, you yeah. guys did you guys have any uh, extra footage of Coco when you guys shot Ice oh, Tea at all? Was oh, there anything? Oh, plenty. Uh, I'm surprised you guys didn't do a follow up on that. <laughs> well, they were just forget the whole art of rap and just the art of ass. They were pretty busy making. They were doing ice, ice and co- is it was it Ice Loves Coco or Ice and Coco show? at the time and uh, 
So we quite often had the battle of the two crews going on in the room. Oh, that's amazing. And just some amazing shit went down with with uh, just saying, oh, you know, you're going to be in our TV thing today, so can you say this? And I'd be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd think, oh, he's really funny, he's joking, and <laughs> then I wouldn't say it. It's amazing what a British accent will let you get away with. Well, yeah. I mean, when I said the wrong thing, on screen, they just had my mouth moving and they turned the sound off. Oh, really? Yeah, it was that show. Oh, uh, Welcome to American Television. Yeah. She is amazing, Coco. She would look like she was born, made in like a black laboratory in Compton just by black scientists. She's incredible. It's got to be said, she is just the loveliest woman. <laughs> I'm sure. And he, uh, you know, and, and Iris is lovely too. He's a one, it was a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And how long did it take you guys to film that whole thing? Well, that one took a long time because uh, because there were lots of different locations. So there was, I guess, several months in New York, and then the talent wrangling took a minute because I could imagine wrangling rappers. Well, the funny thing was that s some people said to me, "Well, you'll never, g you know, everyone's going to try and hustle you, you know, on the deal," and actually, nobody did, not a single time. And it, out of ninety-eight interviews with rappers. Only one guy didn't show up. And, and who was that? And his manager called, I'm not going to say. Okay, I respect that. Later in the day, he said, I'm really sorry. It was just totally baked. And <laughs> yeah. And yeah. that was it. But everybody else was there. And we met, we liked the idea of, you know, music shows, very often you see normally a man and he's sitting in front of the sound desk in a studio. Yeah. So our thing is, just don't do that. Yeah. And so we thought it'd be interesting to make these encounters. And so where possible you know rap music rap lyrics tend to be about the streets that people have come from and at their best rappers talk about the struggle of the streets and they speak on behalf of the other people who don't have a voice that's and awesome th and that's what's beautiful so to have people you know standing in the south bronx and then all sorts of people would come along and say whoa look there's i see there's q-tip and they join in and it was a really lovely way to do it that was some, that, that's fucking amazing chaos yeah a lot of the time i couldn't imagine but you get something so much more animated and so much more real otherwise you're in a studio so some people were in studios but for instance we had dr dre in his garden you know overlooking he's overlooking all of hollywood you know from the top of hollywood of, of, of the plaza there on sunset and it felt like, you know, the king had come up from Compton. Amazing. On top of the hill, you know. That is awesome. It was fun. Did you learn anything from that that you like, wow, wow, I did not know this about artists or about rappers that really shocked you? A huge amount. Um, I think the biggest takeaway, which is what people say these days, was that somebody said to me, this is the most positive portrait of black men I've ever seen. Oh, really? On screen. And I thought, wow, that's really great. And they said, you see, Paul... Black men are always baddies in films. And here we have all these guys who, it wasn't about money, it wasn't about cars, it wasn't about jewelry, drugs, girls, jail, all the things that rap became associated with. It was about a group of incredibly nerdy people who write poetry. So what to get that stuff, we came to the comedians. Yeah. To get all the, the Bentleys and the... <laughs> yeah, the drug addicts, the yeah, bad decisions, that's, that's the trannies, weird. all the good stuff. All the boring rappers. <laughs> and then we thought, right, we need some fun. Yeah, we need some outlaws. <laughs> we are the last. It's very interesting. So after that movie comes out, you're like, what next? And what made you decide stand-up comics? Was there something on television? Did you go watch a comic? Was there something that said, we got to do something about stand-up? 
we have uh, some friends in comedy and we're kind of close to it and been working in it for a while near to it so we knew that there was an interesting understory and underbelly in comedians I mean a lot of people you know you when we're making this series, every time you talk to a taxi driver, they say, oh, all comedians are depressed. Yeah. Oh, er and so everyone understands the tears. Of are the we? Yes. We're all depressed. Well, no, that's what taxi drivers think. That, that oh. is the public perception. Right, right, right. And so I think but what there isn't is this sense of the understanding of the amount of work that goes into it and this unique thing. And I think it's, it's a way of describing it would be a, b a bit like to somebody. Imagine if you wanted to play a song. You had a song in your head. You couldn't write it down. And you couldn't practice the instrument. The only place you could learn to play an instrument 100%. was on stage. So in imagine there's a piano people, on stage. You'd walk out without any understanding. You'd sit at a piano because you'd seen other people sitting at a piano. And then you'd have to try and work out your song on a piano in front of an audience. And, of course, it would sound terrible. And the audience would right. boo you. Yes. Which is what happens to people. Yes. So to explain that to people. Or boo you or stare at you. I don't know what's worse. <laughs> I really don't know what's worse. Like, it's very interesting. There's two kinds of silence in comedy. One is the silence of listening, and it is almost as amazing as a giant laugh. When you take a breath to drop your punchline and you can hear a pin drop, they're like, oh, I got them, and they're listening, and you drop the punchline and the place explodes. And then there's the silence of we are tuning you out, and that is a scary place to be. And it's like, it's awful. I I, I once did a uh, show, uh, uh, urban show called uh, Mo Better Mondays. And um, this comedy network wanted me to do their urban show. But they wanted to see my act in front of an urban crowd. And they're like, and I used to do urban crowds all the time because I would just destroy these crowds. They love me because I talk mad shit. And that's what they respect, man. But the, they're like, you got to be clean. I'm like, what? You got to be clean. I'm like, in, in an urban crowd? They're like, yeah. I'm like, okay, dude. I went up on stage. I'm like, hey, guys. Man, it's really hard to be Armenian. And they literally like, boo! I mean, right out the gate. I mean, sisters have no problem with throwing shit at you while you're doing stand-up. They're just like, garp! And they just grab whatever is closest. And it's usually some weird kind of flyer for the next show. Boom, throw it at you. And you just got to survive through it. So that, that indifference is very interesting. Uh, from the rap movie to the stand-up movie, was there anything you didn't do in the rap one? You're like, we got to do this in the stand-up one that, that you wish you had done in the rap. Well, there's a funda the fundamental difference is that, that we had a host character in the... Uh, in the rap film, which was Ice T, and th he was, you know, the, the main reason that most of the talent were attached to the film, um, not not solely, but p a big part of it. And uh, we've become increasingly irritated. I think it's fair to say <laughs> by the television, the standard television format, which is promoting its its own names that it invests in as interviewers. And uh, in the year where in which we lost some of the greatest uh, performing artists yeah. of all time. Um, watching reruns of David Bowie documentaries and reruns um, of Leonard Cohen and all sorts of incredible people, we're always moved to say, well, why the fuck is that guy on screen all the time asking <laughs> the questions? Yeah. Because really, all that's doing is developing his name. That's exactly and, what's and going and on. And you're just thinking, I just want to listen to David Bowie. Right. And if you stop obsessing about it, which is what we've done, you're just screaming at the TV all the time going, fucking take the camera off that interviewer. 
It's not interesting. So we decided that the sort of to answer your question, the, the key difference is to remove the interviewer from the picture. And so from time to time, you will hear my voice if it's absolutely necessary. You know, in the way that if the audience is going, why is he doing that? You'll hear me going, why are you doing that? Stuff? Right. But apart from that, and you'll also hear us both laughing. like 100%. In the background and snorting and it's not cool, but we're having a good No, it's time. great. But essentially, we're trying to give the screen over to the talent completely. And we think that if you add that up over, uh, you know, 90 minutes, it becomes a very intense series of portraits and a one big portrait. And, the and you're not keeping going away going, I don't even know who that guy is. Who is that guy with glasses, the English guy? You shouldn't think that. You should think about the talent. The comics. About the story we're trying to tell. Because that's the big difference. Now, my manager told me a little bit about you guys that before I did it or a bunch of the comics did it, that you were kind of going around asking if people were interested did you get any like nah i've heard this before i've done this before or any of that stuff that made it kind of hard and then the follow-up with that who was the big first one you got that kind of let you do get the other guys because i did a naughty show and we got this one and we had adult film stars in it and i got this one girl to do it her name was belladonna and as soon as i got her everybody else was running to do it what happened with the movie the um it was there was a kind of building process with it, and I think Keenan Ivory Wayans was one of the first names we got that lent some weight to it. But then there was really odd people that uh, so, for instance, Kev, well, Kevin Hart came on board because we'd done Billy Connolly, and so he was a massive fan of Billy Connolly. Interesting, huh? And so he said, "That's they're talking about the stuff that I want to talk about, which is the sort of true stand-up, rather than some of the tittle-tattle around it." And so once people realised. Initially, some of the stories that came out were people were being asked to talk about bombing, so there was a bit of confusion because although that was a part of the the film, it if you do stand up, you got to have that. You've got to have it, it, and it is the, the the great learning process as we discovered. But you're right, people. There was a confusion that we were trying to make a bombing movie. It <laughs> <that> was <laughs> disseminated by some people who were helping us who hadn't quite got the plot about. Right, that. right. Which is of course funny, but right. inside it, right. I think also that I think it, I think that so. Typically, what we would do is get a number of people to come on board and help us. So they'd just be friends or friends of friends, people who had a group of maybe just knew a bunch of comics. Yeah, know? Sam Phillips was that like with for me. She was. Yeah, so Sam, Sam, I've known since 1985, and she just said to me, "I know thousands of stand-up comedians. Yes, let me help you." <coughs> um, and so she did. And then Sully McCullough's another one, and then Daphne Wayans another one. And then, you know, Lloyd's made lots and lots of comedy projects over the years, and we've both got a number of, you know, friends who are stand-ups in the UK, so that helped. Um, but certainly, when the big names drop. But the other thing I would like to say is that you never get talent by going to agents. Um, they never even respond to your emails um, because they can't see how they're going to get paid out. Yes, it's, a, it's this invisible hand that's involved that, is just has has forced their way into the equation and you got to deal with them and they get a lot of stuff on lockdown therefore you have to deal with them and it's just a very <coughs> interesting thing and they'll tell you oh i told him and he he was you know he's not interested and then he, they didn't really even tell him well we managed to and we're proud of this we managed to make uh, we managed to make um the whole film without dealing with any agents at all 
That's amazing. Um, and it's only because the agents actually that we did ask didn't get back to us. Yeah, so they're <laughs> completely oblivious. So now making the TV series, <coughs> very, very amusingly, one of the publicity firms working on the film um, thought that they were doing the right thing by getting in touch with all the agents without speaking to us. Oh, to no. To do PR. So there was a sort of summit phone call and they went, there's a problem. Like, they don't even know that their artists are in the film. And we're like, well, we did tell you that, yeah. but you didn't listen. So you've just drawn a complete blank because they don't know because there wasn't a check for them. So they why would they know. say why would they be told so that really what but what we're really saying seriously is in the DNA of the project you're talking about. You're making a film which is from the outset a love letter to stand up comedy. Yes. So everybody who concentrates, who reads the invitation will see that this they'll look at our other work. They'll see that people come out looking great. This is in love of the artist. This is saying, look at these guys. Look how great they are. You know, so no one's going to come out of it being annoyed about not looking great or saying something stupid. You know, so once you get once that gets through, you know, people there's a sense of ownership from the community of stand-ups that it's our thing. You know, and uh, that's that was very intentional. Now, when you start to interview people, was it hard to get people to? I know we're narcissist stand-ups, and I know. We're always, sometimes we're always on, we're always looking for attention, but was it hard to get stuff out of the comics sometimes? Are they, I know as a, a, doing podcasts, I always hear stories about, you know, all this, inter, you know, this guy was so hard to interview. He didn't want to let any, any information out. He didn't want to let his guard out. Was there any of that? There was a bit where some people start with the official story and they're doing their official story like they've done on TV shows and it felt quite guarded. And then once the interview gets going and the, the questions and the, the tone of the thing is about what they love doing more than anything else and is their obsession and their passion and their, you know, the biggest names who don't need to ever work again work the hardest and are more interested in it and the technique and are still working on their technique. And once they start talking about that stuff, they all open up and then it gets very emotional. And then, as you know well, the as you were saying the other night, there's the background of quite a lot of these comedians is quite difficult. And yeah. So they've come from interesting places. And so once you open up that can of goats, you're into, an, into interesting territory. It is. It can be a zero to hero art. It could be people come from the craziest stuff. There's a couple of comics out there that are doing so well, and I'm so happy for them. And they come from foster homes, and they just – they're the only ones ever believed in themselves and they just work their ass off and now they're in great places. It's like, that's the beauty of this art. This art is great. So let's get into, uh, I want to get into the, a little bit more of the movie. And then I want to talk about a little bit of what happened last night with you. Uh, you know, you're filming these people. You're not supposed to ever mention that. Okay. My apologies. <laughs> My apologies. Um, we are all naked, by the way. We are, dude. Be. This is going to be the, you guys ever heard of conversation porn? That's what we're doing right now. Just naked people talking. Um, so you're, now you got like, uh, how many hours of footage would you say you have? For the film? Yeah. Uh, hundreds. Hundreds. How did you do, I mean, like, the tedious work of getting stuff that worked. How did you, what was the first cut? Was people saying interesting shit, or was it just like, we have to get these famous people in, or what was the process of that? This might be a little inside baseball, but I love it. Like, what is the process of 
cutting it down to the first version that might be three hours or two well, hours or we, whatever. We broke down the kind of the themes, the main themes of it, in, and so we'd select our favorite takes from those bits. So some of those <coughs> selected take sections of, say, for instance, bombing or the first time you're on stage, th those sections alone might have been two or three hours each. So obviously to assemble four or five of these sections of themes together, the, the first cut technically would have been like something out of Entourage. And what did you decide were the themes? Because, you know, the movie's great. There's like the road, performing, bombing, and then it's almost like the love of the stand-up and why you go through all that. And at the end of the day, it's <coughs> what everybody always said to me that saw the movie is like, I didn't know how they were going to end it. And it ends beautifully. Everybody says the movie ends beautifully. It's this amazing, like, all this crazy shit, shit we go through. It's all fucking worth it. Because at the end of the day, we do what we loved. So how did you decide what were the elements you wanted to use? Like, the comedians decide that, really. I mean, that, I mean, although we had some pretty good ideas of what we thought it was going to be, when the comedians all talk about, I mean, you know, as Paul says, there's when you've done over a hundred people, it's like a consensus. I mean, it's it's like a it's like a census of, uh, com of comedy. similar themes are popping up. It, it, we you know we have this we have a sort of percentiles and all this kind of stuff. So these themes kept coming up, and they kept being featured, and they kept being interesting. And so those are the ones that pushed through. And you know, there was a lot of stuff we got really I got really nerdy about the sort of the technique on stage. I love it. And you know, there was a lot of stuff that you were doing in there, and Chris Rock was doing about moving and all this kind of stuff. But you know, in the end, it just would have bored everybody else apart from you and me and Chris Rock and Paul to death. I'm with you on the that. The challenge is, though, you know, is that, and this is true of anything where, where if you're being very ambitious and you're t tackling a huge subject, you've got to make some very, very difficult decisions. So if you've got so much over matter, you 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 could make twenty films. Right, right. You have to make some tough decisions, and one of the things we realized early on was there was a wonderful freedom, which is that, let's say the subject is bombing. Um, there's a, it's like someone that is completely unknown can win with the greatest story. Yes. Um, oh yeah. Um, I wouldn't say completely unknown, Sam. <laughs> yeah. But do you right. know what I'm saying? Right. Right. You won, and you were up against Gary Shandling and Chris Rock and everybody hitting you with their greatest bombing stories. So. You know, and that so that we suddenly got very excited about that. So we were never sitting there thinking, "Oh shit, we've got to make sure that we go to mega mega star every right. few minutes." We let we let the content d dictate. But the most the most difficult thing was deciding what the narrative art was going to be. And Lloyd is particularly brilliant at this. It is true. He's <laughs> got he's got a natural ability to wrangle this information in his head. You know, I can do it when I write it all down on a fucking blackboard and I can see it and put everything into subsections and then he'll go, oh, yeah, yeah, but what about so-and-so said this? And he'll go, well, where did that come from? How'd yeah. you guys meet? Grinder. This is a grinder one. I can see this being a grinder hookup. <laughs> That'd be great. We've been best friends for a long time. You know, power uh, bottoms everywhere. We, have, we, we, think, we like to think we have, you know, Comp comparable semi-professional skills. So, so the, but the great thing, so then you, the struggle is, everyone kept telling these amazing personal stories. So I was usually, I would say, but you can't keep going up Jamie Foxx Avenue, you right. know? Because suddenly the audience will go, oh, we'll go with you, you're charismatic. And then you've got to go all the way back 
and then get back onto this thing which is about it stand yes. up so you know so in a way that leads us neatly on to how we got to the tv series because we left with this stuff which when we started looking at it with s one of our editors and then with you know our partner over here on the face of it a lot of the stuff we didn't put in the film is much funnier and much more personal than the stuff that's in the film. The stuff that's in the film had to work as a narrative art. Right. It had so you had to connect. So it, it, in that sense, it, the stuff that we're putting in the TV series is by no means left over. Right. It's f it's hilarious. Right. And mind-blowingly personal a lot right. of it. So you know, we hope very much that when we finish with the TV series, ten parts of TV, that you'll be able to bump into episode seven on the flight to somewhere and go that was cool i'd never heard of the movie go check the movie out. yes get the whole series yes hopefully if it works really well then we'll make another series that is great so uh, that is a great explanation and i couldn't imagine trying to make all these individuals who don't really know each other talking about all their own truth and just to make these connections together which is almost what you did is what stand-up does how can i get a to z and take these random thoughts i have and make it so i seamlessly go from topic to topic not to get them out of the trance that comics put people in like i said in the movie the jedi stuff which is you know cadence and talking all the greats talk the exact same way and it's all the same you get this weird group of uh, strangers all working together to, to all think alike and like i said in the movie when you stutter they wake up and you got to put them back in this so in the same thing with the movie you have to make all these people with completely different voices styles canes one of the talk. things that really exactly so one of the things that really helps that is by not cutting away to and here's a piece of 1988 fuzzy TV footage yes. from a chat show. Yes. And, oh, everybody has to refocus. <laughs> you know, it's like this thing. And there's this equalization that comes with the colorway. Seamlessness. And, uh, but what it feels like to me is like, we sort of use this analogy a bit when we were talking about the art of rap. It's like, it's like, um, it's like a picture and everyone's adding their brush stroke to it. So it's like people who, some people know each other in the movie, other people don't, but they're all going, yeah, and they're putting their bit on afterwards. So you're all talking about the same thing, but giving your own personal, you know, take on it incrementally. Throughout. I love it. I mean, that is what's fascinating is an 18-year-old urban comic can talk about the experience in the same way with the same validity personally and with uh, uh, talking about stand-up as an 89-year-old comedian who's been working the circuit for I completely agree with years, that you know that and that's what's so fascinating about it it really is and I can't thank you guys enough for giving everybody an opportunity man it's like comedians were like players in game in like sports and all we're asking is for just an opportunity to be put in the game and in Hollywood it gets very hard because going back to the industry you know they're all just trying to do their jobs and make it I, I, there's no anger at them but at the end of the day they're gamblers and really what they're doing is they're gambling on you but they can handicap the race by only allowing certain people to race in it and teach their own you know so it's like they're throwing up what sticks well if they're only throwing up one thing eventually it's going to stick so and you find you find to that end that there's a lot of situations globally in entertainment where 
management companies are also the production companies who are controlling the stand-ups that go onto television. Yes. And we all know the story. So we feel that there's a sort of fairness about this process. It was perfect. Um, it, ironically, you know, we live in the internet world where you're always, you're always just going to get people online saying, well, why isn't X, Y, or Z in it? Yeah. Well, right now, I'd like to answer that. It's because their agents didn't get back to us. We asked everybody to be No, I respect one. that. So I let's... What's, uh, sorry, just quickly. This is what's cool. coming back to your first point. Yep. Is that thing of... Um, is, is, is the idea that... Is the idea that under behind these creative people, because the world is so obsessed with the celebrity and the A-lister and to try and get these people on in, in this way that they have a very narrow vision of the world is that if you're famous, yes, you can just be pushed in front of the camera and yes. that'll be enough for them because they don't have to make any decisions then or creative decisions right. about their programming. So getting to back to this thing of unearthing the creative process, getting back underneath the creative process, process it is helping people to see in some tiny way that behind this is people that write comedy with thinking about the world. There is people that write raps, there are, p there are musicians that write songs that m you know change your life. This is the bit that's interesting. It's behind it is these people that do this. It isn't just about the bit on the front, right. which you get to see on TV. And that got which very lost, didn't it, in the, in, the, in the talent show format, which has been nearly 20 years that's been ruined TV. Yeah. If you've got kids who think that is it, yep. it's never occurred to them that someone wrote that song Yep. When they do, ha they murder Hallelujah for the 59th time. Yeah. They don't give a shit. They've never heard of Leonard Cohen. Uh, you know. It's always in my opinion, and people get it's it's done systematically, and it's this weird way of like just they want shiny objects on TV because it's easy to replace a shiny object with a shiny object. So if you just redo Hallelujah a thousand times and you just put a new shiny object doing it, it you don't have to pay for that. They get uh, they get a big head. Boom, replace it with but another the, shiny object. But the only interesting thing about that is, is Leonard Cohen. Yeah. And, and we, don't, we need to shine the light on interesting people so that young people want to be interesting people. That's it. Speaking of interesting people, I'd like to talk about my interview when I showed up. I honestly didn't know what I was getting into. But whenever I get an opportunity, I always take advantage of I work really hard. I dedicate, you know, I think about what I want to talk about and all that stuff. So I kind of showed up and you can tell I didn't know what I was walking into because I had a, a V-neck T-shirt on <laughs> with my gorilla fur hanging out, just full armo. Just my God, I, I would have trimmed it or something, but I just showed up and I started interviewing. Um, what did you guys think of my interview? Obviously, I made the cut, so it went well. But as the interview is going on, thoughts about it? I'd step back one. You, one. you gave us a thousand dollars. Yeah, my well, that's why you're in the oh, do we not? Guys, can you all write down the minutes? I gotta edit that out. So I'd like to step back because th that day we were in, we were in the laugh factory in the upstairs room, and it was it was a strange setup because of the bright lights we were using. For Which is a laugh for factory for thing. For it's a bright all everywhere the black in there. And white look. Even though we shot it in color and switched it, we had to have these bright lights on the talent. So, from my perspective, I was blinded, and then and we had people coming in on the half hour. I don't know how many people do we have that day, eight or ten maybe. And so I'd turn around and go, right, who's next? And I saw you at the back of the room, leaning on the wall. Before now, we'd met 
Do you remember? You we came to the comedy store. Met, met at the comedy store. We'd had a little hello. So I was like, oh, yo. And I just waved at you. But you had your headphones on. And you were seriously in the zone. Yeah, get in my eight mile. Boom, and so boom, I was boom, like, boom, boom, that's boom, exactly boom. what I thought. You got one shot. Boom, so boom, boom, I thought, this guy's pretty amped, you know. And then so you can't. And then some people come. They start very quiet. And they give a few one worders, you know. And I go, okay. <laughs> uh, you were just on. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, truth be told, uh, everything was brilliant. Or the whole interview was brilliant. The whole interview was usable. I remember leaving there going, fuck, I didn't talk about this. I didn't talk about this. I was actually going to go back and do it again. And then I said, fuck it. It is what it is. I hope I make the cut. They're interviewing a thousand million people. You knocked it out of the park, which brings us on to something else, which, which is, is why we're here back again. <laughs> which is, which is <laughs> something in your hotel room you, covered in grease. With you, with you, as we've now established, Sam, because we've become friends, um, is that you don't really know when it goes really well, do you? I... We were talking about last night. People think I'm crazy. A friend of mine uh, named Jill would run up to me after shows going, you know, you did really well. I go, I don't know. They didn't like me. It's like, and she goes, you have bomb ears. You think you're always bombing. And I just like, because the adrenaline is going so hard when you're on stage. Even like, even the room I did last night, the LA Comedy Club, which is this wonderful room. It's like it's not a theater. It's a it's a wonderful Vegas comedy club. It's it's I love playing it. But even there, I've been there a thousand times. The adrenaline is pumping and I start I can't hear. I can more see people laughing. I see a, and I hear I hear a little bit, but I, I can't hear it. And I know it sounds nuts, but I just and I always assume I'm bombing. And it's just a horrible way to live your life. But how do, so last night that show, which you feel where you were struggling in, because I mean yeah. it was it was a tough audience, I think. And it and it was were, a weird. So as, as you're going through that process, how does it feel? Then you're standing there, you're working some of the stuff that you usually work, and then it's not quite getting the response, is it? Well, just to be honest, I was in this kind of place, and I told ta- Paul this last night. Is I, I I'm about to shoot my own special. And I wasn't sure where this TV show is going to go and where it's going to be on. And I wanted to be able to work, do all my material that I've been working on really hard right now, my greatest hits, to do on a special that wouldn't get repetitive. So I was like, okay, I'm going to do some stuff from my, my album that went out or in my, even my album before that that did really well, went to number one on iTunes, and do that. And then it became a Frankenstein set. Where it was like I'm taking a limb and I'm taking a leg and a head and I'm hitting it with lightning and hoping that it comes alive, right? And and it did at certain points and then it just kind of, kind of uh, it was it, I would say the set was up and down. It was good. I'm gonna assume it was good. I, like I said, even when I bomb, I try to be entertaining. But it was it was good. But with the cameras on, I felt more pressure, and I just wanted to do a good job for you guys because you guys came out. I wanted to give you the Sam Tripoli, which is like punk rock chaos. I love chaos. I live it. It's probably hurt my career because people want a very controlled show. And I just want to fucking kick in the door, blaze in the 4-4. Just going fucking nuts. And it, sometimes it goes really well and sometimes it goes really bad. Not, it never goes bad. It just goes off. So when the camera's running and there's just moment of stillness, I'm like, oh man, how is this going? But you, but the, the dark stuff that you went into, even if you were feeling that the audience weren't 
maybe responding to that, you just kept pushing that, didn't you? You, d you didn't. You didn't fall back on. Oh, I can just get easy laughs here because that you when you because when you were getting good laughs, and then you go, I'm going to go off into this dark place. Why would you? Why would you do that? <laughs> why, why are you so suicidal <laughs> like that? Uh, I want to give you a piece of my soul. I want you to get a piece of my soul. I want you to know me. I want you to know my life, and I want you to know that as much as you're being quiet. You've got secrets, you've got weird shit, and that weird shit, you're afraid to tell everybody, and you shouldn't be, and that we're only as sick as our secrets, and really, we're all into the same fucking shit, and if we just stopped lying about it, we would just, it would make our lives immensely much easier and happier, and it, like, I know people think I'm nuts, but when I talk about me smoking crack... One time in my life, and the chaos of that event, it isn't to me going, hey, dude, I smoke crack. It's like, hey, dude, we all did crazy shit, and it's not the end but of the world. But it's a very powerful thing. We were just in a conversation with a, with a comic who was talking about making a massive revelation in the first line of his show, okay? And his agents went, oh, you can't do that. He's a massive star. And it was just the truth. Now, we think... I think, we think, that if you shock the crowd with something which they would find very uncomfortable to say, bright and early in the set, hopefully people go, okay, this is fucking interesting. He's just blown the doors off. Yeah. You know? So, And obviously that becomes increasingly intriguing if it's yes. a very famous person. Right. Who's supposed to be avoiding all of that. Yes, you know? keeping it safe. And so I think what you're after is this thing that we're obsessed with, which is that stand-up comedy at its best is scratching away at the human condition yes and is saying like you just said well you know like tell your secrets they're not that weird yeah you know and then you can get down to some proper honesty you know funnily enough last night though that girl who she could have even she could have even been a plant she was so effective because she she was getting to you a bit by her little you know not staring and just pouting the whole time but that that gave rise to and you were a bit irritated still after you came off stage in my opinion yeah but i went sam but it was the fucking funniest bit of the show yeah and you went oh yeah it was actually was it yeah you said this and then about the fucking and watching them and, and so it all came together in that moment so in a way it, it, it's that relationship isn't it between you the room and the and 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 the crowd it which gives rise to to it your act has to be alive and in the moment and breathing and it's so it's got to be in the moment whatever's going on in the room a collective feel you have to talk about that cuz people people are feeling it people are being honest so when i go hey what do you do for a living and her boyfriend just shouts out she's a camp model and and like and her mom's right there i mean that is gold that is like, I want to explore that. You're right next to your mom. You got your creepy stepdad there grinning like he know, he's he got his hand in the cookie jar. I want to know what the fuck that's about, man. See, my act is very interesting. I've been blessed, man. I, I learned in the dojo of the comedy store, the OR, and I've seen that, sh that room cripple people, and I was baptized in there. And I have a very certain style doing comedy. You talk about the guy opening up. I, I can't open up with a fucking sledgehammer. Okay, I got to start, and I do a style of comedy I call gator roll. I do a gator roll, and that's where I come up and I grab you at the top, right? And I just keep it real simple, real simple, relatable shit. Like, oh, farting or what? It's really simple. 
And then I just start pulling you deep and deep and deeper into the waters till fuck, man, I got you deep on the bottom and you're drowning. And it's like, that's where the fun is. And that's why the, the crack pit didn't work because I didn't start simple. I fucked up my order because I would just want to put on a show for the cameras. But if I start simple, do relatable shit, by the end, I'm talking about being in high-speed car chases with police helicopters, which is a true story, and smoking crack with this robot, which is a true story, and people appreciate because I took them a little bit. Now, after the show, they might not want to talk to me because I made them laugh at some weird shit, but at the end of the day, it's really about the psychological trip that I take people on. Can I ask you a question? Of course. So, so much of your material last night and i appreciate that was just one show okay and you've also described it already as a frankenstein of a show yes but um it struck me as i was going to bed last night that you know there are a lot of stories about um about exaggerated behavior about drugs uh quite some quite x-rated stuff yes and you are uh to my knowledge a sober person yep steady relationship yep and is does it feel like uh you're talking about the same person you know what i'm getting at i'm saying is it, it does it exercise things is it is it exciting the to demons talk exercise the it demons 100 yeah, percent. exciting to talk about this stuff from the safety of knowing that you're never going to do it again never say never <laughs> um but i would say I talk about it because it's my experience and I feel people really appreciate knowing where you come from. And yes, I have a girlfriend. Yes, I'm sober. Yes, you know. So it's, it is that. It's like I'm not that guy anymore, but this is wh how I used to be and I think there's an appreciation. I grew up on Richard Pryor, Sam Kennison, you know, uh, the doors, man. I was in the doors. It's like this celebration of this honesty of who they were and how they are. And I, I really want that because, you know, a friend of mine, Tamara Catan, said a great story about stand-up. And we're like, not to judge the crowd, but like the crowd is like a nine-to-five crowd. They're nine-to-five. They're like chained dogs. And they're following rules. And they have they have a master that tells them what to do and they got to think this way and they got to act this way because their job lot depends on it. Whereas I'm, I'm a ro roaming wolf. I'm a, this guy who's just freely moving through the f wilderness, doing my thing, hunting my kill, loving my life, doing it. And it's just like, the, I just want them to know that man, they're, they're at what they their life. They could be free too. And it's like it doesn't matter where they are and what they did. They can achieve their dreams. And that's real. It sounds so crazy when you listen to me. I, I, call, my, I call myself the Carl Sagan of dick jokes <laughs> because even though they are dick jokes, there's a point to them. And it's a bigger point that we're all the same and it's all going to be all right and it's all going to work out. And at the end of the day, the jokes of all the crazy party jokes is really about you were crazy. I was crazy. It's okay. You're not perfect. Yeah, I get it. And that's really what it's all about. That's the point of comedy, isn't it? It's to make you laugh, but at the same yeah. time, there's a residue that when you go away that's left behind that makes you go, oh, there's some knowledge that's there. A different, there's a different world. That's all it is. I'm not a... Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Thank you, dude. Well, thanks for having us. No problem. No problem. Let me see how long we've been going. Yeah. 
we'll do a couple more minutes just when you guys wrap it up. We'll wrap it up about what we're doing here. Like, what do you want to do tonight? And then we'll call it a 45-minute podcast. Fun. You know? And then we have to do the thing you said. Yeah. What is that? I don't know. I the just, weirdness? Yeah, We've got to get this hooker out from under the bed. I don't want to put this hood on. Do <laughs> I have to put the hood <laughs> yeah. on? This Craigslist ad is like <laughs> running out, okay? We got five more minutes till it gets off Craigslist yeah. and nobody's going to bring us flowers. Yeah, this rubber suit's really hurting. Me. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's go. Okay. Uh, so just to yeah, wrap it up, um, I appreciate it. I'm really excited that we have an, we're doing it again. Tonight I'm going to just do my act and not kind of piece it and like be because the, the girl who went up last night, she's like, just do your act. I'm like, I don't know. But I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to do it. I just got some really good shit that I'm working on right now. Just where my life is and how I'm dealing with everything in the world of stand up comedy and this thing I call oppression math that I talk about, about how political correctness makes people. They'll allow certain comics to do certain things based on how much they think they've been oppressed, you know, and uh, it's, I'm going to do all that tonight. So, yeah, great, I'm excited. Great. I want to take you guys around the Fremont Street, show you all that and see if we can get it going. I felt like a real asshole yesterday telling that guy, who would I say, Pete, Pete, the security, Tom, the security guard. I did. I felt really bad. And that's not my style. And uh, but I've been having fun shooting you guys. And I, I can't thank you guys enough for just giving me an opportunity. Because at the end of the day, that's all you want. And we uh, can't thank you enough. Yeah, thank you. One of the absolute stars of the film, and um, we're very grateful. Yeah, I'm very grateful. Uh, if you guys have not seen Dying Laughing, you can find it on all the video on demand. It's so good. It's so good. Everybody watches it, loves it, and they should because it's a beautiful, beautiful story about people just living their dreams through the craziest of times and uh, i think if you see it you'll really enjoy it so guys thank, thank you, you so much for doing thank my podcast Sam. safe space if you guys enjoy this go watch dying laughing let them know and uh we will see you next week i got a great uh tinfoil hat coming up duncan trussell will be on next week we're talking uh, religions and all that stuff. So, guys, thanks for tuning in. I love you guys. Please let me know what you like about what you don't like about it. And by the diabolical, it, it comes out March 17th. Thank you guys very much. Can I take these Thank boots you. off now? You guys are great.